This is DCFN Newswire. Live, online and on your mobile, this, this is DCUFM News. Hi everyone and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira O'Loughlin and I'm joined today by Aoife O'Brien and Anya O'Boyle. On today's show, we will be talking to DCU Marketing, Innovation and Technology student, Cahill Curry, about the DCU startup GiveBack.ie. Kira O'Loughlin reports on the Fund Our Future campaign that took place on DCU campus today. Clara Caslin talks to the oldest matchmaker in Ireland, and Mary Ryan reports from Maynooth on the schools for strikes. But first, we have our hourly news bulletin. Good afternoon, it's five o'clock. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has warned against a rolling cliff-edge situation as EU leaders meet for a crunch summit just eight days until the scheduled Brexit date of 29th of March. Speaking to reporters in Brussels, Varadkar said the EU needed to cut Britain a little bit of slack and give consideration to their request for a short extension. Theresa May confirmed her decision to seek a three-month extension to Article 50, the mechanism by which the UK is exiting the EU yesterday. Some European leaders warned the date would have to be 23rd of May, the same date as the European elections, while others warned they would veto any extension unless the British Prime Minister presented a credible strategy at this week's summit. A 16-year-old boy has admitted raping and murdering a six-year-old girl during his sentencing hearing after he initially pleaded not guilty during this trial. Aaron Campbell was sentenced today to life in prison and will serve a minimum of 27 years for kidnapping, raping and murdering Alicia McPhail in July 2018, Sky News reported. Her body was discovered in a wooded area later. New Zealand is banning the sale of assault rifles and semi-automatic weapons with immediate effect, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said today, rapidly delivering on a pledge to tighten the country's gun laws. The move comes less than a week after a white supremacist rampaged through two mosques, killing 50 people as they prayed, sparking global revolution. And finally, fans of Drake need to get themselves to Tala. The artist is in Dublin for a string of three arena dates, but spent yesterday evening in the South Dublin suburb playing basketball and having a milkshake in Eddie Rockets. DCU startup GiveBack.ie, a social enterprise working to eradicate homelessness in Ireland, is calling on the public to help them double their recent funding win of €50,000 under the Google.org Impact Challenge. Giveback.ie, founded by DCU computer application student James Gallagher and Victoria Ryan Nesbitt and co-led by Cahill Curry and Alison Ring, was this week named as one of 15 winners in the Google.org Impact Challenge Awards and is now in the mix to double its funding provided it can secure the highest number of public votes. I'm joined in studio today by Cahill Curry to find out more. Hi Cahill, thanks for joining us. So, Carl, can you explain to our listeners what GiveBack.ie is and how it works? Yeah, so I suppose GiveBack.ie, first and foremost, is a Google Chrome extension. Um, it, it's a Google Chrome extension and it, um, we've partnered with over 1,200 of the world's biggest online retailers, uh, so the likes of ASOS, um, Hotels.com, eBay and Amazon. Um, once you have us installed um, and you shop at any of the 1,200 retailers, a percentage of your spend will go towards uh, Inner City Helping Homeless, a charity that works fighting homelessness in Dublin City Centre. 
So why was the enterprise set up? I suppose um, from James's point of view, um, when he originally set up, set it up and, and got the technology working, um, he, um, when he when he got the technology working, uh, it was mainly because uh, he, he had worked in affiliate marketing before um, and he had worked in affiliate marketing and he was just struck by the increase in numbers of homelessness um, in Dublin at the time. So this was around 2017 and, and as we know that's only increased since. Um, so I suppose he thought that he'd be able to combine um, his skills in order to make a difference somehow and, and that's kind of how giveback.ie came about. So you said that giveback.ie was established and partnered with a number of different companies. How did you go about approaching these companies? Yeah, so I suppose we tap into their affiliate marketing links. So when we say affiliate marketing, what we mean is if you're on Instagram and um, an influencer has a, a certain dress or a pair of sunglasses or a handbag um, and they have the link to buy that in their description, when they purchase from there, um, they're getting a cut out of that. So they're getting between 1% and 10% of your purchase price. Um, essentially what Giveback.ie takes that fee. Um, so the retailer set that fee aside. It's almost like a prospecting fee. So like, um, it's, it, it rewards people who drive tra traffic to their websites. Um, so Giveback.ie taps into that and, and gets them fees. So um, we, we, we began reaching out, uh, James and Victoria, when, when they first started, re began reaching out to retailers. Initially, w when you got Amazon on board, um, it becomes easier then because people kind of follow suit after that. So um, I suppose there's 1,200 retailers, but it's not a matter of 1,200 different emails gone to them. It's um, A lot of them will accept you once you've been accepted by other retailers. So I suppose the initial onboarding was the tough bit. Once you had the big clients like... Um, Hotels.com and, and eBay and stuff. The others tend to follow suit. Um, so I suppose, yeah, well, what it is, it's the, the pre-existing affiliate marketing links um, that, that kind of got us in the door. So does that mean that the percentage that is raised through giveback.ie is predetermined with each of these companies? Yeah, so I suppose it's not really the company itself, it's the product that the company are selling. So you could buy something off Amazon, and an example I tend to use is um, an iPhone or an Android phone. So the phone itself, um, you make that purchase, you might get 1% uh, of that. So you buy a phone, it's 500 quid, we, we'd get 1% of that purchase price. Um, the next day you realise I need a cover for that phone, so you go and buy that cover, we might get 10% of the, the cover purchase. So it's set, it's, it is predetermined and it's set by the, the company itself and it varies um, across products. So giveback.ie is working to eradicate homelessness. Does all of this funding go directly to funding homelessness in Dublin or is it distributed around the country? So from uh, the money that we raise um, through these affiliate links, um, that goes to Inner City, Hel er, Inner City Help and Homeless, ICHH. So that's a, a, a charity run in town, uh, CEO is Anthony Flynn. Um, they're based predominantly, when they originally started, it was predominantly just in the north inner city. But I suppose as the problem was growing and growing, um, they've actually expanded out to a lot of the suburbs in Dublin now. Um, they don't do, they, they, they stick in Dublin themselves, but... I mean, when they first started, it was it was runs around the north inner city. Now, on an outreach night, um, they could have uh, runs to Swords, runs to Dunleary, runs to Tala. So I suppose that's uh, the real disheartening thing is that, that the problem's getting worse. Um, so they need all the help and support that we can give them. And, and I suppose that's where Giveback.ie comes in. Also, this funding has helped them to spread their network and access more people. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose um, they, they have close links with DCU as it is. Um, a lot of societies, particularly in Actus and RAG, 
um, and DC volunteer in the past have run events to support them. Um, so it, it was it made sense um, for us to work together on this one and, and look any help we can give them, whether that be in terms of promotion, volunteer or finance, um, we're happy to do so. Do you have any idea how much has been raised by giveback.ie so far? Yeah, so um, it obviously depends um, on the purchase price. Um, so if you're buying that iPhone, it's it's 1%. Uh, the total, um, how it works is per user we have of the Google Chrome extension, um, they will raise roughly over the course of a year, €5 Euro per user per month. Um, so that kind of breaks down over 12 months. So it wouldn't be €5 Euro in January when no one has any money. Um, but it might be €10 Euro in December and that kind of balances out over the 12-month the period. So the 50,000 that giveback.ie is after winning through the google.org um, impact challenge, will that money go directly to um, inner city helping homeless or will it be used to maybe fund more campaigns in DCU? Yeah, so the 50,000 I suppose is going to be invested uh, primarily into giveback itself to improve the technology and make it more mobile optimised. So um what what I mean when I say that is um get get the the platform from just a Google Chrome extension to an iPhone and Android app because there's in, um increasing amount of money being spent uh, on phones rather than on the desktop, um and funded marketing campaigns in order to, in order to encourage uh, people to download, um so I suppose we're going to be investing in give back in the hope that that fifty thousand can turn into five hundred thousand, um and. Uh, and then keep continue our work with inner city helping homeless. Does that mean that when ye finish college, that giveback.ie will continue, that it's not just a project that's going to exist during your time in DCU? Yeah, potentially. Um, that's that's the hope, really. You know, um, it, it came out of an Actus DCU, um, and when you set up any project there, the idea is that it, it is sustainable um, and it can function properly as a as a kind of standalone social enterprise once it leaves the college environment. Um, so I suppose if Giveback, or not Giveback, if Google are willing to get on board um, and they believe in the project and they believe it has potential, then I don't see any reason why Giveback can't spread its wings and, and grow beyond just DCU. Fantastic. So just to finish up, how do people go about voting for Giveback.ie so that you can double your winnings? Yeah, so um, we, we've obviously been given the 50,000 50, euro, but if we finish this, if we get the, the top vote there, the, the best out of the other 15 projects, we'll double that and we'll get a, we'll get 100 grand in total. Um, people can vote by going to giveback.ie slash vote. Um, so that will redirect you to the Google Impact Challenge page and, and specifically the Giveback one. So you can click vote and then click confirm. Uh, it's like two steps. It's really impressive how quickly you can vote. Um, so that's giveback.ie slash vote. Um, and you can vote there for, for giveback.ie in this year's Google Impact Challenge. Brilliant. So hopefully all our listeners and all of DCU will get behind the project. Thank you so much for joining us in studio today, Cahill. Thanks for having me, Anita. Much appreciated. At 1pm today, DC students, along with students across all universities in the country, held a protest a part of a campaign called Fund Our Future. It was run by a coalition of the Union of Students in Ireland and the Irish Secondary Students Union. President of the USI, Sheena Cahill, along with representatives from SIP2, joined the DCU march today. After the UK leave the EU, Ireland will have the highest third-level fees in the EU at €3,000. 
I spoke to Vito Maloney-Burke, DCUSU president, at the protest today about why he and his team got behind the campaign. Right, so do you mind just um, explaining to our listeners a bit about uh, what the protest was for today? Uh, yeah, so today there was a national movement, um, a collaboration between various organisations, students, secondary school students, third level students, um, unions, um, and ultimately it, it was a protest against the chronic underfunding of education in Ireland. So at 1pm, um, people up sticks, got up, left the lecture halls, um, left the libraries and walked out and we met in the U. Um, congregated, walked cr- across campus and over to the library um, basically to symbolise um, how we will be locked out of the library of education um, should things continue the way they are, should funding um, be greatly, um, I mean suppose, be greatly diminished in comparison to, to what we as students are putting into education in Ireland. And what would you like the government to do? Do you want the current €3,000 contribution fee to be reduced or taken away altogether? Yeah, well, well, ultimately, fees increased over 350% um, from the recession onwards, and that needs to be completely re- reversed. Um, the government needs to increase funding. Um, at this moment in time, Ireland is set to be the most expensive country to get a third level education in the EU um, after Brexit. Um, so if that doesn't kind of signify a, a whole widespread issue with, with the institution, the system as a whole, um, nothing else will. And do you mind just explaining, I was down today and there was a really big game of Jenga going on. So <laughs> do you mind just kind of explaining what this was about? Obviously our listeners can't see what it was all about. So. Yeah, so that was literally activism through board games today. It was kind of the most I've ever enjoyed a protest. Um, yeah, so the, the bricks um, symbolise different uh, aspects of the education system and of our institution. Um, so there was like the Susie Grant, there was the Here and There schemes, um, there was the counselling service, for example. And if you take one out, it's to kind of symbolise how the whole system comes crumbling down for council council for example which is actually the brick that sent um the tower flying um six weeks waiting lists and people not being able to speak to a councillor um ever in some cases um just speaks for itself so they are our students as a result our students or our institution is coming crumbling down and the education system in ireland is as well so this campaign isn't just about the actual fee that students have to pay it's kind of about all of it and the funding basically as a whole yeah absolutely and the fees in ireland very much represent that a great deal of that um i think it's possibly one of the most tangible examples um but there's a lot not going right in um hei's in ireland today in 2019 um and it's a very big conversation a conversation that will go long past today okay brilliant thank you so uh, much Vito. I'm here at the Courthouse Square in the centre of Maynooth, where a crowd has gathered to protest government inaction regarding climate change. All around the world today, on March 15th, protests are taking place to raise awareness of the urgency of climate action, led by hundreds and thousands of school children and students.
I spoke to those protesting in Maynooth today to ask what brought them out and what they think the Irish government can be doing better to fight climate change. Nicole Kerwin and I'm out here because um, a member of the Student Senate in Maynooth University passed a motion in our Senate meeting that we were all going to be mandated to walk out of our classes at a quarter to 12 today and we all had a rally in college and then we protested and we we rallied up the street and stopped traffic and it was incredible and we met the school students and then we made our way up to the square where we just finished up I've come out because, to be honest, I said it like the school kids have really inspired me, and like a lot of a lot of kids are told to look up to their elders, and a lot of kids are told to look up to maybe their older brothers or sisters or other people who are in college and be like, oh, are you going to be like you know you're going to be like your big sister, are you going to be like your big brother, whatever it is. But like, I want to be like them. Like, they have completely inspired so much in this movement. They have been like the driving force behind it. There's been kids out on this square every Friday for the last six weeks. The march started with Lorna Gold. Lorna Gold from Trokra was the, um, the one that initiated here six weeks ago, I believe, um, and we just joined her. And all is the inspiration from Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old um, climate uh, activist. And we are told to be very critical about what we read, what we write, and um, we need to be critical of our government. Climate issues have been for a long time in our um, horizon. 30, 40 years we've been marching, you know, anti-nuclear things, and then the windmills and different, different things. So I think now we're at a crucial, crucial point, um, and we know that, so we need to do something about it. In November 2018, the World Meteorological Organization released a report stating that 2017 atmospheric carbon dioxide levels reached 405 parts per million, a level not seen in over 5 million years. Our voices matter in this world, even if we feel they don't. It only takes one moment of strength to start a revolution. You've just got to keep talking to people. You know, in the past, man has made himself uh, guilty of violence and achieved nothing. Well, we've got to keep talking and we will achieve something. And it's just sheer determination, sheer gut determination. My daughter spoke there for the first time in public with churchgoers. She's had ample opportunity. She's never spoken in public, but because she got a passion, I'm able to stand here and support you. Right? And so, what do you think uh, is missing in the government's plan to, to really tackle climate change? A desire to do anything. And I, I guess you could use the excuse of Brexit, you could use all sorts of excuses, but the point is there are sufficient people working in the government to actually do something. It doesn't take the whole government to do something, it just takes two or three people to start small little steps that would eventually become something big like this. Right across the world today there were little rallies like this. And it's going to continue until governments around the world, it's not just our government in Ireland, there's governments all around the world that are not doing anything. They're just hoping that everything will go fast and that this is just a fad. Well, it's not going to be a fad. We're going to make sure it keeps going. It hit me really hard when I saw the small children coming up through, through here. Um, that was just unbelievable. Um, even now, I get emotional. These kids shouldn't be 
protesting um, for something that we've done. Well, I think that a consistency in the action, the direct action that's been happening is definitely necessary, but I think it needs to expand. Um, and I think that's when government will start to take notice. So I would just say, for one, continue the, the direct action, but to involve more people, to involve more local businesses. So like in terms of Maynooth, I just think that more businesses should get involved. The colleges should do it every Friday. The like, schools should do it every Friday. I mean, they gave them permission to do it today. Why not do it every Friday until we actually get some response out of the government? We're going to take a quick ad break now, but make sure to stay tuned to hear all about the old-fashioned way of finding a partner from Ireland's oldest matchmaker, and we'll be having our panel discussion on higher-level fees in the EU. We'll also be asking, has one of Trinity's newspapers taken it too far? As oldest traditions which began in Lisdown Varna, County Clare, when visiting Gentry came to take the waters, which is a physical venture into healing, cleansing and rejuvenation. Here they would look to match their sons and daughters with someone suitable from the upper class. A modern take on traditional matchmaking is the agency Intro Matchmaking located on Grafton Street in Dublin. Intro is a fully registered Irish-owned introduction service that launched in 2011. Fergal Harrington and his wife, Rena Maycock, who were introduced by Fergal's brother, came up with the idea of setting up the company when they were out walking their dogs. They wanted to become the most private and confidential matchmaking agency for people who are looking for long-term relationships in Ireland. I wanted to figure out whether the romance seekers of today's society need help from the likes of intro matchmaking and forget about online dating apps where it's extremely difficult to gauge genuine sincerity. I asked Fergal about intro and online dating and how their business works. Here's what he said. It's all well and good for people to go online to the likes of Tinder and POF or whatever else having the crack. But you just, yeah, you can misrepresent yourself and say whatever. And you can be a man, pretend to be a woman, you can do whatever you want. You can have as many profiles as you want. So there's no verifying the actual genuine nature of the, of the individual. So we said, well, for the people who actually want genuine, real relationships, let's create something for those people. So let's kind of create a, a matchmaking service in almost the likes of a GP surgery. So people have an office that they know there's a registered company. We're fully registered, fully Irish owned. Uh, we're trademarked, intro is trademarked. We're on TV and radio and like, newspapers all the time. So we had a presence. We knew that we needed to have a presence in the media. What happens with us is people inquire by phone or email. And then we explain over the phone the policies that we have and how we operate. And just to make sure that we can kind of, I suppose, meet the person's expectations and make sure that they are realistic in what they're actually looking for. There's no magic wand. And so therefore, if the managing of expectations isn't done in a matchmaking agency, you'll never have any success. So the only reason we're as big as we are now with three and a half thousand people on the books and open seven days a week and people on the hour every hour coming in is because we turn away more people than we take on. That's the main reason for the actual success because if we, if we actually went on and took every single individual on who we couldn't meet the expectations of, we're sending Mary out with John, but we know Mary's expectations are so beyond belief that no Johns are going to be happy with Mary and Mary will be happy with John. It's just going to turn into this sort of awful sort of experience for both parties. So we have a duty of care to make sure that the people we're bringing on board are level-headed, logical, rational, reasonable, grounded. The managing expectations is the absolute biggest, uh, biggest key uh, factor. I then asked Fergal about his youngest clients that come into the agency and what their general profile is. I was surprised by 20-year-olds coming in because I thought, ah, I didn't expect it, I, but I just didn't expect it. But then when they did start coming in, they are very health conscious, very driven, very motivated, very ambitious. Their career is usually lined up. Their, um, their education is usually 
pretty much in the bag, they're complete. And they compartmentalize their entire life. They're usually very hil- uh, healthy and fit. They're not drinkers, they're not smokers, they're not going doing shots, Jaeger bombs in wherever down the road. Um, so they're quite, yeah, they're amazingly ambitious and very focused and really mature. Um, they'd be way more mature than some of the 50 year olds that you'd meet. The three biggest issues, travel, age and education, they're the three major things, but procrastination is, is the biggest thing for both men and women. Work gets too busy, I have college assignments queue, I'm doing my masters, no time. Jesus, how would I find the time to date? Um, plus, they bring chaos into the life. They think, but if I'm doing a master's and I've got this thesis due and I've got working five, nine to five, they talk themselves out of potentially starting something like a lot of the time. They think, but if I'm in Dublin and you're telling me that I have to travel within a three hour radius, because you do, we say to be open to, to up to 90 minutes to meet at the halfway point. But the point is, do you want someone who ticks nine of your 10 boxes or do you want someone who happens to be like two hours away, or do you want to meet someone who's convenient down the road and taking one of the ten boxes? Kira, you spoke earlier about the Fund Our Future campaign that took place in DCU today, and it took place because Ireland's fees are soon to be the highest in the EU. So what can be done to combat this, and what sort of action are students looking for at the moment? Yeah, so basically I suppose the issue as a whole, it, it isn't really just about the fees. It's kind of the funding, the funding in general. Um, I think it was really interesting um, from Vito's interview earlier, like everyone would have heard what he was talking about, the Jenga. So today um, in the U, um, the students, you know, uh, held this protest for the campaign uh, fund our future and uh, loads of other colleges did the same but basically something that DCU did today along with the USI and SIP2 was they had basically like a big what would you call it big block of Jenga mm-hmm. massive <laughs> Jenga someone would say um, and each block had something different on it so Susie counselling services academic services kind of all the things that help hold a university together and you know when one of these was taken out the whole thing fell mm-hmm. so I suppose at the moment um the fees in Ireland are at 3,000 euro if you do not receive any kind of uh, grant from the government now d- to bear in mind um this is actually not called a fee it is called um student contribution so but I mean obviously it has mm. to be paid so I mean the government do pay for a large portion of our fees I think it would be about 12,000 if they didn't um however it is still three grand and it's, it's it's still a lot for students to pay and one of the things to highlight is you know students so say students who don't get the Susie grant it goes off of their parents incomes um however what happens to students who maybe their parents are making money but their parents don't want to pay this fee you know students are still being looked at as dependents from their parents in Ireland Um, at the moment the UK has the highest fees they're around eight or nine grand so when they leave the EU Ireland will then have the highest fees but I mean it also needs to be taken into account the different models that play you know um, a lot of countries have these loan systems like the UK Australia, America, and if something isn't isn't done quicker, we could be going going that route, and that's exactly what you know we don't want. It definitely is difficult, though, in terms of those loan systems. That if that is what it comes to, granted, yeah, our parents go into quite a lot of debt, putting most of us through college. 
However, if it comes to the fact that we then pay maybe 10 grand to go to college and it's done like in the UK where you don't pay that immediately, it's taking out, taken out of your income once you leave college, that you're paying that on a yearly basis, it is going to take an awful lot longer for young people to get on the property ladder or to start building a kind of sustainable lifestyle. So there's going to be a huge knock-on effect if we can't balance this somehow. I think it was very interesting on um, News Talk Ireland this morning. They were saying that um, if urgent action isn't taken, there's a risk that today's seven and eight-year-old primary school um, students won't have sufficient college places available to them when they actually come to um, the time that they go to college. So this is a this is a huge problem that and what is this due to is this due to um the cost or there not being enough it's that there's going to places? be a lot more students looking to go to college okay. um, there'll be an additional um 40,000 students predicted at that time who are going to be looking for access um to third level education so um and the resources just currently aren't in place to um provide this um service to them If we already have these figures, we already have this information and the studies have been done, then surely more action needs to be taken towards providing alternatives to third level Mm -hmm. education, to providing internships and schemes so that we can get people into the workforce and earning a decent, solid income without the need for every member of our society to go through third level education if we simply can't facilitate it. There definitely needs to be as well. There are so many college places just going to waste. I mean, so many people go into third level education when, you know, it's probably not what they should be going into, you know, um, it just doesn't suit them. They're in the wrong course. I mean, I think so many people end up in the wrong course. I think there just needs to be like a, a re-look at the whole kind of the whole all of it as a whole (laughs) we also have to bear in mind that it's not just student places it's not just the fact that more students want to come to college we now probably need more funding than ever within those colleges most of the buildings are starting to age repair is needed the equipment within the college needs to be updated and then we have all of the services that are now expected of the college that weren't there before that weren't there when it was first established so here in DCU we have the free 24-hour helpline for um, the counselling service that is being funded through the through DCU through our kind of board of management we don't have a fully subsidized doctor we pay I think it's 30 euro to go and visit the doctor on campus. Some colleges do have this fully subsidised, but either way, there's more expectation of the colleges to provide these services and by and large to provide them for free. So this money that maybe could be going towards building bigger lecture halls, getting more lecturers to accommodate these, these students really can't go in that direction if we're going to keep demanding these services. I think the main issue is that we shouldn't have to cut these services because they are essential for college life they're essential for the health of students and just their general well-being but it's just that the government has introduced so many cuts to the education system that it's actually no longer sustainable for these services to exist in some colleges and for drawbacks to for cutbacks to not have been taken um, from other sectors so 
it's the government that we need to be looking towards. And I know last year the Higher Education Authority were looking for, I think it might have been, um, I think it was 16 million euro um, just increase in funding in most of the colleges around the country because our infrastructure is largely dilapidated in a lot of the colleges and we just aren't being provided with the highest quality of education that we possibly could have been. Yeah, definitely, Anya. So we are just going to take a really quick ad break. Um, afterwards, we will be having our final panel discussion um, about Trinity's student paper and what the future holds for them. The University Times has come under a lot of criticism in recent days as a result of its reporting of a hazing scandal carried out by the Knights of Campanile, where during the ceremony, reporters placed a recording device outside the apartment of the captain of the Knights of Campanile. The petition has now been, a petition has now been launched to remove the salary and on-campus accommodation of the editor of the University Times and reduce the paper's funding to just €3,000 a year. So, should reporters not have reported on the topic or is this petition an overreaction? Um, I don't think it's either, to be honest. I think... It was definitely a topic that needed to be discussed. Um, Trinity has had issues of these kind of things going on in the past and it's definitely something that the University Times have done a good job up until this point of bringing up. Um, There has been, I wouldn't say an overreaction, there has been a very big reaction online of students um, who are not happy with the way the University Times went about um, about getting this story. I think there's issues on both parts I think at one point so basically they went to it was the college campus wasn't Mm -hmm, the college campus residences sorry this is this is in Trinity if anyone doesn't know the University Times is Trinity is two student newspapers uh the University Times and Trinity News and University Times is actually um basically kind of run by the SU isn't it it's SU funded so so the University Times they had reporters go to um the college campus residences to a particular dorm where inside it pre-drinks were going on um however it was it was an official society event um and hazing was taking place at it so honestly i i don't know like i don't think they were right in the way they went about it but they weren't completely in the wrong either i mean the only problem i would have with it is they keep trying to justify themselves in the actual article mm-hmm. and in the article they do say oh the irish times has done this and rt has done this and even if they have done it that doesn't make it okay for you to do it i think the main reason that they decided to even kind of pursue this method of reporting was because they saw it as an issue of public interest because of the kind of boat club hazing scandal that had gone on before, I can imagine that they thought that they were going to get some really big scoop than kind of witness um, a hazing ceremony take place. And a lot of um, professional journalists have actually came out and kind of, um, I suppose, sided with the University Times on deploying these methods. Um, Christine Bohan, the editor of the journal .ie, said... Um, it's the first time I've read proper reporting on what the Knights actually do for initiations. So there is kind of an element of secrecy in Trinity about what the Knights of the Campanile actually do. And um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a society 
that's made up of the kind of sports captains of all the teams and it seems to have very elitist kind of connotations to it and I suppose the the University Times was just trying to uncover what was going on and in that they may have kind of raised an issue of um, breaching privacy by actually going on to the um the premises of the resident or the residency of the um president of the society and actually placing the audio device outside his his room so i suppose that raised the the issue there the only thing about it is though that what where they placed the recording device they were in a public the recording device they were in a public corridor it is in student accommodation and this could be heard in a public corridor. They didn't breach privacy in that they didn't sneak into the room. They didn't bug anyone's phone. This was something that anyone who was in the corridor at the time could have heard. I suppose um, none of them actually live in this residency so there's no reason for them to have been in there other than the fact that they were trying to kind of get this information and I suppose that could have been one of the main issues there. I'm surprised (coughs) at how you know the story has gone in the way that everyone's just giving out to the paper and no one's actually talking about what was actually written in the story. Yeah um, they the University Times said that they heard um, members of the society being instructed to bend over get in the shower and start whispering insults into each other's ear and they claimed that they heard sounds of gagging, groaning and retching coming from the apartment. But all of this seems to have very much been pushed to the sideline and the criticism is very um, heavy upon the the University Times at the moment. And it seems like a slight overreaction that they want to, you know, reduce the funding to €3,000 which the University Times has came out and said that that would only cover them for one issue of the paper. And um, they want to reduce the... They don't want to pay for the editor to run the paper anymore or for them to get their on-campus accommodation. And it seems a bit unfair because the editor will be a new and different person next year and should they have to suffer the consequences of the actions of their previous, their predecessors? No, I think it's completely unfair. I think um, if this was you know really to go ahead they should be punishing um the reporters and the current editor i don't think the whole paper of this year should be punished and i definitely don't think it would be fair to um you know take that position away from someone next year someone who could have been you know garnering up to take this position for the past three years um i think people forget um sometimes that student papers are what they are their student papers yes they they still have to be held accountable to a lot of things mm-hmm. um but at the end of the day um these reporters are are just students yeah. they cannot be held to the same levels of accountability as professional journalists in the working world can be because that's in reality that's just not the type of establishment it is that however is part of the issue and that most college papers do not receive funding from the student mm-hmm. union. Yes. And this technically can be seen as a professional paper, as a professional publication, because the editor is being paid. Yes, that is... I suppose that's why it's received aren't. a lot more traction than maybe anything that Trinity News or the College View might do as independent papers, because 
I suppose when the students of Trinity are funding this role, they expect a high level of accountability. And I know in the past, when um, the editor of the, the University Times was kind of made a mistake, they stepped down from the, p- the position to actually preserve the integrity of the paper and to show that, above all, like ethics comes first for them. Do you think the editor of the University Times, what, what's her name? Um, her name is... Eleanor, is it? Eleanor O'Mahony. Yeah. Yes, Eleanor O'Mahony. Do you think she should step down? I personally don't. I think it was a, an extremely high quality piece of reporting on something that needed to be discussed. It was a bit like the ANF scandal that took place here on DCU campus. This is p- things that people need to know about. I think like that that society is an extremely elitist all male society on Trinity campus. I think people sorry to interrupt you, but I think people are forgetting about as well um, this is in the interest of safety of students. Absolutely. And that is something that needs to be recognised. I don't think they went through it by the best means possible, but definitely it does not warrant this. They got the information that needed to be put out there into the public. I think they should stand by their decision. I agree with that decision. I think um, there seems to be a huge overreaction to these fairly unorthodox methods of reporting but at the end of the day professional media organizations do use methods such as these and you know you get the results so I suppose that is what they were trying to kind of mimic they thought that they might get more information by doing this and unfortunately it hasn't really worked in their favor but I don't think it warrants uh, an editor stepping down and Losing all the hard work that they've put in through the year over something that necessarily isn't even wrong. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't really agree with um the way they went about the story. But I definitely, yeah, I'd I'd be on the same page. I don't think that um Eleanor needs to step down as editor. Um, so that's all uh we have time for this week. I'm afraid. Thank you all for tuning into Newswire today. I'm Anya O'Boyle. I'm Aoife O'Brien. And I'm Kira O'Loughlin. Remember, you can always keep up to date with us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at DCUMPS News. We go live again 